Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Catherine Peppercorn with the hymn, O Living Bread from Heaven. This coming Sunday, according to the three-year lectionary, we have another one of those Bread from Heaven gospel readings where Jesus himself is feeding people out of his deep compassion and his mercy. So, what does it mean that Jesus feeds these great multitudes? Beyond it being a miracle, what does it mean for us today? Greetings, Ed. Welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the 10th Sunday after Pentecost with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. We'll spend some time with Pastor Tom Baker. He hosts Law and Gospel. We'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson on Rahab hiding the spies in Joshua chapter 2. Then it's Gender Ideology 101 for Parents. Dr. Miriam Grossman will be our guest. She's author of the book Lost in Transnation, a Child Psychiatrist's Guide Out of the Madness. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. It's great to be back, Todd. In the Gospel reading for the coming Sunday, we're going to be dealing with Jesus feeding this large crowd of people. How significant is feeding food in Jesus' ministry? Pretty significant. And I think in the whole Bible, food as a theme comes up a lot. Now, maybe that's not all that impressive. It's one of the things we really need to survive. And it's the one we've always acknowledged before air was very well known and understood. But I think as we look in particular at today's readings from across the scriptures, we'll see how common it is as an emphasis of what God is doing, as a way of speaking about God's love and care for us in particular that is focused on his nurture of us as his creatures and the ones that he cares for. This is the fundamental duty of a parent, I suppose, if nothing else, is to is to feed their own children. But there also is a tenderness associated with it, more than just handing somebody a dollar or any other way that you might care for somebody. So it's no surprise to see that close to the work of God. But what is also worth noting, as we mentioned earlier in other parables of Jesus, is that the kingdom of God is often compared to a banquet of some sort, to a gathering of a meal. And so all of that lies behind today's readings. What are the gospel themes that you'd like to point out before we get into the propers? 
We'll see the compassion word mentioned again. And really, while there are a few words for mercy, for loving kindness, for steadfast love, I don't think it hurts us much to combine all of these since they are overwhelmingly used in the scriptures about God himself and what he is up to. So we're going to hear specifically the compassion of God in Christ. And I think then we'll see in the other readings that the love of God is not far from it and a love that reaches out and acts for people, particularly that is poured out by means of feeding his people today. What kind of connecting themes will be found in these proper definitely that that compassionate mercy his grace his undeserved kindness will continue all over the place and as we look at it we want to look at the broad expansive nature of his love a word that that tends to be kind of dilute but what we want to really appreciate all of the many facets of the lord's love and then maybe something that should be obvious to us, thanksgiving, giving thanks for the great love of God that he has done. And all of this, I think, is really typified in the psalm. When we get to it, you'll understand why. There's a potential disconnect that I think it will do well to avoid. And it's a disconnect that I think can be seen in the propers that are chosen for today, especially where they're borrowed sort of from other lectionaries, from other uses. And that's maybe a disconnect between providence and salvation. So providence is not a word that Lutherans use all that often, but is certainly a theme that we would acknowledge. The recognition that the Lord is the creator of all and that he gives to the world as it needs. He sustains it. So for us in particular, this is centered in the way the Lord's prayer, talking about the petition, give us this day our daily bread, is mentioned that we get to hear that God provides daily bread and lets the rain fall on the righteous and the just alike and the unjust alike, that he does it without our asking for it and certainly without us deserving it. And yet we want to recognize always that the things we have come from him, that he is the giver of all good gifts, and that all of this comes out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without merit and worthiness in ourselves. And so the proper response of a Christian is to give thanks. When it comes to providence, sometimes the thanks turns into kind of a generic gratefulness that loses the person to whom we are giving the thanks, that is the creator. And this is spoken of in many places, especially when the danger of idols is nearby, that we would exchange love of the creatures itself for love of the creator, that we would worship perhaps the creatures, the things we have, the gifts themselves, rather than the one who gives them. And we don't want to fall for that, and I think it's helpful then to see all of the gifts of God, whether they're in nature, whether they're as simple and obvious as daily bread in that expansive term, but even in the specific matter of bread that we'll deal with today. All of this comes logically because of the love of God in Christ Jesus, the undeserved grace by Christ and his work of salvation for us out of which also we are able to acknowledge the manifold care that we receive, that we recognize in this world as coming from a God who loves us, not just as an accident that this time the dice rolled in my favor instead of rolling against me. No, we recognize something different. As it says in the Catechism, out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy he has done this. That is the truth because of his Son and what he's done for the salvation of humanity. The intro for this coming Sunday is 
Psalm 105, some other verses. Yeah, we're actually continuing from last week, and we have the same antiphon. Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, a quotation that's also in the Song of Moses. Then we go on, starting at verse 39. He spread a cloud for covering and fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river, for he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. This is a great little section of history. And I admit, as I've been looking at the Psalms this year, I am struck by how much history of Israel is in there. In fact, I think you could take some of these Psalms and treat them as your summary of the Old Testament. These are almost always the parts that we skip, though. So I'm glad to see that we have some in our intro today. And I think our listeners can probably hear and understand that this is talking about the Exodus and immediately follow it. So he has the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, leading them, covering them over. And then it goes into the provision that God gives of meat, of bread, uh, and even of water from the rock. And then all in connection with his great saving work at the Red Sea, that he brought his people out, and that he did it for the sake of his promises to Abraham in particular, but then by extension to Isaac and to Jacob, that is Israel and all of his children. So even in this psalm right here, we have salvation connected with the thanksgiving of God's people for his great gifts of provision, of care, of nurture, and of rescue. And in some ways, I think that is so marvelously captured in just that last verse, which might seem out of place. Why are we talking about Israel? Why are we talking about a promise from a long time ago? that the Lord is remembering his own promises. He's fulfilling this salvation, which dates back long before the event actually happens. There's a way in which we are always going through life just kind of piecemeal, and we are tempted to forget God, that he has been here with us in the past, that he has actually planned our salvation from the dawn of time in Christ Jesus. And we act as if it's always like he's stumbling across our day's issues with us, unaware of them, wondering if this is going to be the one that snags us up forever or if uh, we're going to pull through somehow. This is simply not the way faith understands it. This is not the way God truly is. He has our salvation from the minutest detail of daily bread all the way to the death of Christ Jesus, planned from before the foundation of the world and set in motion. So by no means are we to think of this as just happenstance, but rather we have something firm and solid into which we can put our place. And that's why we dare not exchange our Lord for his gifts in our minds. What's the next proper that we are going to look at here? Well, we go on to the collect, and uh, this is a repurposed one, and it's a very elegant, I think, collect. Uh, I'll read it. Heavenly Father, though we do not deserve your goodness, still you provide for all our needs of body and soul. Grant us your Holy Spirit that we may acknowledge your gifts, give thanks for all your benefits, and serve you in willing obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the original place of this, as far as I can find at least, is in the common service, and then it comes also into the Lutheran hymnal and a number of other Lutheran hymnals. 
for the day of Thanksgiving. So we would use it on Thanksgiving Day in November, or you might use it at other times when you want to give thanks, in particularly in the morning. And this has a more prominent place now in the lectionary because both in the one-year lectionary, it's actually replaced the traditional collect for Lent 4, which the reading, by the way, is the feeding of, I believe it's the 5,000, it might be the 4,000. And then also it's used both this year and next year in year B when Mark's feeding of the 5,000 is heard. So I think maybe because of the one year actually, and that change they made, or maybe rather they were adapting that to the three year. Now this prayer has come to be associated with this reading of the feedings. What's interesting is the prayer in its initial form is arising out of the phrase from Lamentations that your mercies are new every morning, great is your faithfulness that we acknowledge his mercies new every morning, and though we don't deserve it, nevertheless, we give thanks. And that we deserve punishment, but we ask that he would give us something by grace. That is absolutely the theme that was originally connected with that Lent 4 collect paired up with the feeding. Here, the lamentations part has been omitted, as well as all reference to punishment as being deserved. But we still have the unworthiness attached to it. So I think that's helpful as we look at today's readings, just to see the unworthiness that this is not something we're owed by God, and therefore he bellies up and produces some bread and puts stuff on the table. And in a way, this is very much making this collect similar to what we learn in the catechism, which I think is teaching us the fatherly relationship of God to us, very much like the conversations that parents have with their children that kids tend to assume that uh, dinner is going to be on the table no matter what. Of course, they're not worthy of it. They haven't earned their keep to remain in the house. And nevertheless, although it's a little bit cheeky for them to have that attitude to their parents as if they're just expecting to have this entitlement, they're not wrong at all because they're banking on the knowledge that their parents love them. At the most simplest level, children know and expect that their parents love them. And that's exactly the reason why parents do have dinner on the table, why they, even if it comes to it, would, would go hungry themselves in order to provide that for their children. They do love them. And they have this love that is unconditional, that is not based on what the child has done in advance, uh, and therefore delivering the merit, but rather they love them. And that leads them to serve in that way. This is understood all the more than in our Heavenly Father, who has both nothing that we've done in order to earn his favor, but also has many things against us in our sins, and yet sets all of those aside out of his steadfast love demonstrated in Christ Jesus' death for us, by which he also provides all good things with him, as we heard last Sunday in Romans. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. The Old Testament reading for the 10th Sunday after Pentecost is next. How do the global flood, circumcision, and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness foreshadow the baptismal flood in Christ? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. This new Bible study is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number 1-800-325-3040 
or find out more about the Baptismal River at issuesetc.org. The Baptismal River, studying the sacrament throughout Scripture. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the Word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process, put the Word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting. LCMS.org slash stewardship. Old theology, new technology, you're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The schools division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. Sean, we come now to the Old Testament reading, Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 5. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here, that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel for he has glorified you. We should note that the Old Testament readings are chosen in the three-year lectionary to match with the gospel. They are not continuous readings as the gospels and the epistles are. That's definitely shown here in Isaiah because we've actually just heard this pretty recently, the later part of this already back on proper 10. But now we're back in Isaiah 55 for the beginning section of it where we have this urgent repeated and universal invitation to come, to come and eat, to come and drink, to come and be satisfied, to come and receive all of these good things from the Lord. And this is a a parallel passage in many ways to Proverbs, where we have the wisdom, lady wisdom, who 
prepares her meal, sets out the banquet, and calls out on the streets. Everybody who has any sense, or even if you are a fool, come in and taste of my banquet, the banquet of wisdom, and grow in knowledge. And don't be simple any longer, but come and have what is truly good, in contrast to the lascivious lady who's the fool who's calling out for more and more foolishness. This whole concept of the call of the gospel being this open invitation with no strings attached even to all universally is also brought up in Jesus' parables that have to do with the banquet, that everything is prepared. The king says, why don't you come in? In fact, even to those who were not invited, he begins to just do whatever he can to fill up the whole house. We see a very similar thing here. With it, though, comes something unique here in this passage, and that is this call that we should buy without money and without price. That's a very interesting phrase, and it's strange, it's unexpected, precisely because the word to buy means to give something in exchange. And yet, the way that this invitation goes out breaks all of that connotation and says this is going to be a very unique invitation. I actually think this passage is helpful for us when we get bogged down, as I think Lutherans often do. We're concerned about not being saved by our works, and there's always the chance that we would mistake faith as a work. In my experience, especially in the parish, I think this happens most around that word accept. Do you accept the gospel? Do you receive the gospel? Do you agree with the gospel? Do you make any kind of choice? And we're quick to say, no, it's not our decision. It's not our doing. You think about the third article of the creed. By my own reason and strength, I can't do any of this, but the Holy Ghost has nevertheless called me by the gospel. He's the one who's doing, who's the actor. So how do you square that with all of these passages where Jesus, for example, will say, believe, or he'll say, repent, or he'll say, come. And we want to re reject and rebel against even the invitation of our Lord sometimes by saying, well, I can't come to you. So we ought to always hear those invitations in the same way as this. It's the invitation to buy without spending, to come without moving yourself, to believe without mustering up faith from inside of you but having it be implanted in you by the word of God, by his promise. So just another fantastic way of describing this undeserved grace of God, where his favor is the mover and shaker in all of this, and it is entirely undeserved by us. How can we hear about this, by the way? And I think it's helpful just to remember what's come before in Isaiah. In 54, we heard about how we have been purchased by the Creator. In fact, it even takes up the language almost of being the bridegroom to the bride. That's our, our Creator. He's, he's made the whole world. So certainly he's going to take care of us to whom he's speaking all these promises. But also, we've just heard in Isaiah about the Savior. In chapter 53, of course, we have the beautiful and well-known passages about the suffering servant that we often hear on Good Friday, how Christ was made to bear the iniquities of us all. By his stripes we are healed, how he has purchased our salvation by this death. So that's why the call of the gospel goes out without money, without a price, uh, to come and be satisfied. And it's placed in contrast, then, to everything else that we do spend our money for. Uh, 
So that might seem like it's not a fair, it's like a double comparison and doesn't really work, but we ought to hear it and understand that it's not only this, but so much more the opposite. So you can't spend money for salvation. And that fact actually should make salvation be even more priceless, right? Not only is it, if you were to try and put a value on it, you would run out of dollar signs and zeros in order to accurately put a price tag on Christ and his salvation. But even more than that, it's not something that is available for sale. It couldn't be purchased, you know, or it couldn't even be undersold, so to speak. It is given entirely by grace, entirely by the Lord's free gift. We have this expressed so well in that communion hymn, if the wealth of earth were proffered, yet none could buy the gifts here offered. They must be given at the price of zero dollars. It must be given to those who aren't worthy of it and don't deserve it. And nevertheless, the Lord wants to show his grace by giving it. On the other hand, we do spend our money for all sorts of things. In fact, we labor hard for it. We accumulate it. We, we try to make sure that we don't lose it or have it be frittered away by inflation in order so we can buy what? Well, I think what's lingering behind all of this in the rest of the context of Isaiah is so we can buy false idols, so we can devote our wealth to mammon, to Baal, to all of these other aspects of life that we identify as false gods who will never save us, who don't care for us as a husband for his wife. And together with that, then maybe most of all is earthly security, which could come in the form of housing, could come in the form of just, you know, means, so to speak. Uh, But I suppose that its root is to find your next meal. And okay, at the most desperate, at the deepest, darkest levels of poverty, that's what it is. You know, you're scraping by looking for something to eat, something to keep yourself alive, sustenance for this day only to survive to the next day. And yet, what an amazing thing. There's so much desperation for what manifestly does not last. If you find a morsel of bread that gives you enough energy to to go on one more day, Look at how fleeting that is. Look at how unsatisfactory it is that it could only last for this long. It could only endure for this long. Think about food itself. It perishes almost immediately. That's why we need refrigerators. That's why we need chemical preservatives or salt or or something. Otherwise, the food itself goes bad. And of course, the bodies that it's supporting, and all of this due to the corruption of sin, of course, the bodies that food supports, they wear out even if they are well-fed. In fact, sometimes because they're too well-fed. So all of these things are fleeting. They don't last. They don't satisfy. Why in the world do we spend so much time and effort after these things? That is one miracle. The other miracle is that the things that are priceless are given away for free. So the depth of our sins are in every way matched and surpassed by the boundless mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And then beautifully, Isaiah makes the shift that the scriptures do so often, which is to, I think this is a fine proof text for this, by the way, that we often understand eating, especially in the words of Jesus, as hearing. 
which is to say that the hearing of the word of God nourishes us, strengthens us. Now, we would never say that diminishes the Lord's Supper, which is quite literally eaten and drunk by us, but the faith is strengthened also and at the same time and together with the eating and drinking by the words of God, by the promises of God in the gospel. Even our explanation to the Lord's Supper describes that. So it is true also when the word itself is being heard, when it is being proclaimed, when it is being given, that it nourishes our souls. In fact, this has come into, I think, pretty much the standard ex corde prayer that I certainly pray, and I think almost every Lutheran pastor has some variation on it that they like to use when they're called upon in a pinch to say a table prayer. They mention that this food should be blessed so that it may nourish our bodies, even as your word nourishes and even sustains our souls. It's taken up in a few hymns as well. So all of that is right here when Isaiah 55 says, listen to me and eat what is good, that is Listening to me is eating what is good. Inclining your ear is how you come to me. Hearing is what delivers and allows you to receive the nourishing, lasting goodness that only the Lord can give. We move then, just to get the end of this passage, to the Lord's promise about an everlasting covenant looking back to David. So we remember that David wanted to build a house rather than have the Lord run around in a tent At this point, David is in the promised land as king, and he's living in the palace. So why should his Ark of the Covenant have to be sitting out in the tent? And the Lord says in response to that, well, this is your idea. I guess that's okay, but I'm going to build a house for you, by which he means not only a building, but a name, a heritage, and chiefly that from David will come the Messiah, the true king of Israel, Jesus Christ. So this is a fantastic prophecy that remembers what was said to David in our presence, but now also looks forward to the fulfillment of David's offspring, Christ Jesus. And all of this great grace, all of this free buying, all of this nourishing word is given not for the sake of Israel, not for the sake of David and his person, but for the sake of the Holy One himself. He is the one who is active doing it, which is, this is a fine summary of what we mean when we say grace. We mean the favor of God, the Holy One, given to those who don't deserve it to us. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer. I'm Todd Wilkin, your link to issues, etc. We just heard that Old Testament reading, Come to the Waters. Well, The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August is called The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. Find out more about this great Bible study from Concordia Publishing House by giving them a call, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy at our website, issuesetc.org. Look for The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. On the other side, the Antiphonal Psalm 136. I think satire and humor are worth defending. I think free speech is worth defending, and I think it's a tool that we need to use in the church. Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee, speaking at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. 
Humor is our tool. Humor is something that God created. The left just co-opted it for all the terrible comedies and stuff that you see and all the vulgar stuff coming out of Hollywood. It's ours, and we're going to reclaim it. And I think that's one of, the, one of the missions of the Babylon Bee. The left wants to take down humor. The left demands that things that mock them and point out how ridiculous they are being get torn down. But we're just going to keep answering that with more and more humor. And I think it starts here. It starts in the church. We need to be able to laugh at ourselves. You can watch and listen to a recording of Kyle Mann's presentation, Making the Case Against Cancel Culture, from this year's Making the Case Conference. For a donation of $300, you can download an audio and video recording. Learn more at issuesetc.org. When you hear the word heresy, what do you think of? Do you think of some ancient debate the church has gotten over and forgotten? Do you think of some stubby old theologians just arguing over things that don't matter? There's a lot more to heresies than you might think. And that's what the August issue of The Lutheran Witness is all about. Heresies, ancient and modern. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website, witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Are you attending the LCMS National Convention? Ad Crucem is partnering with Confessional Lutheran Fellowship of Facebook to help members of CLF identify each other at the convention. If you're a member of CLF, pop on over to our booth to get your free CLF sticker and to see all our wonderful Christ-focused products. Visit adcrucem.com or booth 222 at the LCMS convention. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. You may be one of those pastors who need to be refreshed and refueled because of your parish ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Charles Gieschen. Concordia Theological Seminary has a wonderful program, not only in continuing education during the summer, but in an advanced study program called the Doctor of Ministry. And it's a very practical program because it focuses on congregational ministry, It incorporates biblical theology with the ministry of the congregation. It's also very accessible for pastors, and it's also affordable. You can major in pastoral care and leadership, teaching and preaching, or mission and culture. And we pray that pastors will take advantage of this program. Learn more about the Doctorate of Ministry program at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. The psalm for this coming Sunday, Sean, is the antiphonal psalm 136. I'll just read the, there's an option to only go to verse 9, and then there is thankfully the option to have all 26 verses, which I would really encourage. But here's verses 1 to 9. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Do you see the pattern here? This is the psalm that repeats at every half verse his steadfast love, or in the old translation, for his mercy endureth forever. And we used to say this at the end of every communion service, in fact. So what we have then in verses 
1 through 9 is that he does great wonders, that he made the heavens to the one who spread the earth out above the waters, the one who made the lights, talking about the planets and the sun, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night, very much focused on creation, which fits very well with the providence theme that we have today, that the Lord who is the maker of heaven and earth, certainly takes care of me and all of the needs of my body and soul. Well, maybe especially focused on the body. It'd be great, though, to hear the rest of it, which goes into more history similar to our intro and is very helpful for us understanding the Bible in a very simple way. This history is doable. I think that's helpful. You look at the whole Bible and you say, this is a monstrous book. How could I ever understand it or get through it even, much less know what it means? You start looking at the Old Testament and you're full of names and difficult places, and it's not laid out chronologically very often. And I think that's intimidating for even lifelong Christians to understand and to appreciate the Old Testament, all of which is, we believe, pointing towards Christ Jesus, who now has come. This is a bit of a self-perpetuating problem, right? Because if it's difficult, we tend to sideline it, and then it stays difficult forever. And I guess it's surprising in the three-year lectionary that has the express goal of giving us more of the scriptures still is succumbing to this difficulty. So I would commend to the listeners at very least to learn and read and and pray the rest of Psalm 136, because you'll get to hear a marvelous little summary of kind of the, the Moses section of the Bible. So you have the firstborn struck down in Egypt. There we are, the last plague. Israel brought out from among them, Pharaoh in the Red Sea, how he's drowned in the Red Sea, how now the Lord leads him through the wilderness, how now he strikes down the kings and the mighty kings, and then you even get a few of them in a row so you could remember some of them, Sion, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, how he gives them the land, let's skip ahead all the way to the conquest, the heritage to Israel, and, uh, and, and something I think we can say very easily and directly applies still to us in the church. He remembers us in our low estate. There's that grace, undeserved. Rescues us from our foes, not our doing. Who gives food to all flesh. Very appropriate for today in verse 25. Give thanks to the God of heaven in summary, for his steadfast love endures forever. The epistle reading is from Romans chapter 9. How does it read? We're continuing on. I'll read all of it. We have the option to go to 13 or just to go verses 1 through 5. I think this is interesting because we're getting deep in chapter 9, as the hearers probably know, into this sticky stuff about election, which I think all of us are a little naturally uncomfortable with. You can kind of measure the uncomfortability by surveying the other forms of the three-year lectionary. The, the Roman Catholic Churches is quite shifted entirely, but theirs is quite small, and our Revised Common Lectionary only has verses 1 to 5, so to our credit, the Lutherans go farther than everybody else at least. Here it is, uh, through verse 13. Paul says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ, I'm not lying, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. For the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong all the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. 
But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I'll return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, but in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of his call, she was told the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. Maybe that's not the, the best place to end the reading, but that's the difficulty of making a choice. First of all, I think we should see, as Paul is addressing this conundrum, that the very people to whom the Lord came, if I can borrow from John's gospel for a moment, when he came to his own and his own did not receive him, Paul has the compassion, the tenderness of heart, the mercy that pours out and over into action. He has this for his fellow kinsmen who reject the faith. And so, as many of our listeners know, he's considering that here, and he's looking at it. He says something astonishing. He's, he sounds like a good Jewish mother, I think, here. I would gladly give myself up in order to save them. And obviously, Paul does not actually want to go to hell here, but he's saying, you know, in a sense, at least speaking hyperbolically, if that would save all of the rest of my kinsmen, man, I would sacrifice that too, I guess. I would do anything I could a testimony of the fact that it is not what we do that saves anyone, just as it's not what we do, not of works, as he says later, by which we are saved and chosen and made good before God, but it's entirely his work, it's entirely his accomplishment. But he, he goes on then, I think, to start clarifying for us something that very much needs clarification in our day, and that's just the many ways in which we use the term Jew or we use the term Israelite, sometimes, maybe most often, to speak about them according to the flesh. That is, as Paul's kinsmen, people are born of the same tribe that trace their lineage and bloodline somehow back to Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, the patriarchs. And Paul acknowledges this. He knows that according to the flesh, Christ Jesus is descended from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Just as we heard already, Christ Jesus is descended according to the flesh from David as well. But that is not the point. That is not really who defines Israel. And I think that verse, verse 8 is probably the key one for us to know. It is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, who are the children of Israel and Abraham, but it is the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. And we should pair that passage with what Jesus says when he is fighting with the Pharisees and scribes and, and saying that before Abraham was, I am. Jesus says, Abraham saw my day and was glad. And he's putting this in contrast with the Jews and saying, you believe you are children of Abraham, sons of Israel, but the Lord can raise up sons of Israel from stones if he wants. And what is the defining characteristic of Abraham? It's that he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's simply the other side of the coin of 
the Lord making his electing promise, his promise that delivers the news that I am choosing you, you belong to me, your sins are forgiven, come and buy without any, even having any money, come and receive and be satisfied in me. That this is what makes children of Israel. Children of Abraham are the ones who believe the promises of God, just like Abraham did, who trust in Christ Jesus, the one that they were all waiting for. So we need to know that. While I was uh, doing some research, I, both because I was looking at the lectionary, interestingly enough, but also this passage, I came across something I'd never heard about before, which is a term, supersessionism, which means superseding, right? Or sometimes it's used with this word replacement theology. And the idea is almost all the people who talk about it are people who think it's wrong, by the way. The idea that the church in the New Testament has replaced Israel or taken its place and superseded so that now the fleshly people of Israel are no longer of any concern to God, I suppose. And this term was coined not by people who would acknowledge that in some way, but by those who are worried that we're not giving enough credit to the people of Israel according to the flesh today and God's plan. And you can hear, I think, kind of dispensational theology coming in through that. This was new to me. The key, I suppose, would be that it's not a replacement of an Israel according to the flesh or an Israel according to the organization that now the Church Inc. is the new people of Israel, or the new nation. Rather, it's it's exactly what Paul's getting at here. It's not a considering according to the flesh. It's a considering according to the faith. And that's why I think this phrase, I would be ready to accept this and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm a supersessionist. I believe in replacement theology because certainly the Israel of God are not those who are all descended from Abraham according to the flesh. It's those who trust in Christ Jesus. Actually, though, that's why the word replacement is not very satisfying and not very useful because the object of faith in both cases, in Abraham's case, in Isaac's case, in Isaiah's case, in David's case, as well as in ours in the New Testament, that object of faith has not changed. The object of the promise has not changed. The subject of the promise, that is, that's the promised offspring, Jesus Christ. So we can't really say that the church has replaced or superseded Israel. I mean, there is a continuity there, despite our use of the terms Old and New Testament that we can't ignore. But notice Paul's agony, his compassion for them, and his solution. His solution here is not that we ought to come up with some new way of salvation for them, or not that he ought to assume that they have it taken care of their own way, give enough appreciation for their tradition that he doesn't feel the agony anymore. His solution is to talk all the more about Christ Jesus, the one who is God over all and blessed forever, the one in whom all the promises are given, the one in whom, yes, all of the people descended according to the flesh from Abraham also will find their refuge by trusting in him. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Sean Denzer is helping us look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. We will get into the gradual and verse for this coming Sunday next. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. 
In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. journal. Just click the red journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Sacramental, historical, liturgical. You're listening to Issues Etc. Hi, this is Pastor Brian Katchelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Over the next five years, Los Alamos National Laboratory is planning to hire thousands of new employees in the areas of science, engineering, security, administration, and construction. If you have both a technical and confessional mind, Los Alamos may be the place for you. I invite you to explore the possibilities on the websites for the Town, Laboratory, and Redeemer Lutheran Church. Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life. Equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. On this Tuesday, August 1st, we're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Sean, what are the gradual and verse for this coming Sunday? The gradual is the one we've heard for many weeks now. Oh, the riches and the knowledge and the wisdom of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. I don't know. I suppose the only, only inscrutability would be the fact that our Lord kind of retreats to a desolate place in his gospel. Although, if we want to talk about the inscrutability of his mercy, that steadfast love, that compassion that he has, I think there's a place for that. What is inscrutable, what is impossible, is to fathom just how undeserved it is. This is not the way we give gifts. This is not the way we have favor on others. We wait for them to do something favorable, and then we approve it. The Lord is the one whose favor causes him to act undeservedly for his people, as we'll see in Jesus in the gospel. And actually, if we wanted to talk about inscrutability, we've got to get the rest of the Isaiah passage, which is where he says, quite literally, my ways are not your ways. But maybe today we want to zoom in on those riches. We've been talking about the depth of the riches of God. Now we have maybe even the riches that come down to the daily bread that he provides for us. I think that's a nice connection. The verse, though, will definitely connect. And I'm glad to see that we've returned to the Psalms as the verse. We had a couple from the Gospels. Now we're from the Psalms, and I think this is a marvelous compliment. Just one little verse out of Psalm 98. Man ate the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. 
If you were to go to Psalm 78, you'd find it's one of the longer psalms in the book of Psalms, and it's another history psalm. It goes pretty extensively. I think it's it's kind of the premier one that talks about the pattern of Israel in particular, of the Lord's great merciful actions, their trust in him, and then their falling away from him and him recalling them through many difficulties. We just have a little snippet here, which is talking about the manna that was sent from heaven. The Lord provided for them precisely on the heels of all their complaining, of course, and they continue to complain nevertheless. But we see certainly the undeserved nature of the Lord's love, his compassion, his grace, and his mercy, which is on full display in Jesus here in the gospel. So that gospel reading, Matthew 14, beginning at verse 13, with about three minutes here. Oh, goodness. Well, we've skipped over Jesus' rejection at Nazareth and the beheading of John the Baptist, maybe because uh, John the Baptist's day is coming up. But then we get to Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000. Now, when Jesus has heard about the death of John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go out to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Hearing this reading, there's much to say. And maybe the first thing to say is this is only one of two feedings in the Gospels and pretty consistently throughout them, that we have the feeding of the 5,000. We also have the feeding of the 4,000. So we know not only that this was something worth mentioning by the Gospel writers from their multiple facets, but also that it happened more than once. Again, pointing back to Jesus and his grand fulfillment of the Old Testament as showing himself to be the very Lord who cares for his people, who feeds them in need, who provides for them, above all, who does it out of his great compassion. Now, in Mark's gospel, for example, we hear that he looks and sees them harassed like sheep without a shepherd, which is also a beautiful indication at all the feeding the Lord does. Here, though, we see that the Lord has retired. He's gone away to be by himself, and people are pressing in on him out of their desperation. And he doesn't reject them, but he's glad to still have compassion on them. He doesn't say, this is my time but he turns to them. He sees that they're in need. He sees that they certainly don't deserve this. They're rude, I guess, butting in on his prayers. But the Lord doesn't have that attitude at all. He is compassionate. Different than some of the others, it's not a desperate need. The disciples come and say, send them out to the shops. They can get their own food. Here, though, I think we see the reason the Isaiah reading was picked to go with it. There are other alternatives, of course. But when they've come to Jesus for his word, for his healing in particular, and when they are are seeking him out at his own invitation to come, he is not going to turn them away for something lesser. He is fully capable of providing. 
We see together with this just in brief that he is also teaching his disciples to be deliverers, not of their own word and life and food, but of the Lord's great gifts certainly the word as well as the sacrament, that they are expected to provide this. Of course, they're incapable of themselves. So the Lord takes over. He does it. He gives thanks. He imitates what he'll do later when he gives the Lord's Supper as well. He has the disciples be the ones who put it out to the crowd and that there is a a perfect 12 uh, tribes of Israel gathered up at the end. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thank you for your time. You're welcome. When we come back, Pastor Tom Baker joins us. We're going to spend some time with him teaching a Sunday school lesson on Rahab, hiding the two spies in Joshua chapter 2. Then Dr. Miriam Grossman joins us, author of the new book, Lost in Trans Nation, A Child Psychiatrist's Guide, Out of the Madness. We'll discuss Gender Ideology 101 for Parents. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, IssuesETC.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.